a series uh, that's really interesting and I, I've really loved. Um, it's shout out to Daryl Jones, one of our pastors that kind of came up with this idea. But we're we're looking in this series at questions God asks, which is just ironic uh, to begin with. But you know, questions in and of themselves are so powerful. I, I think a question is maybe one of the most powerful tools in your, in your you know, relationship tool belt, in your conversational tool belt. You, I think everybody knows a good question asker. We probably have friends that we know of as really good question askers. And so I have loved going through the series. We're actually in the very last week of it. Um, in looking at what, what are the questions that the best question asker of all time asks? Because what, what makes a good question is that a good question, it opens a door to something. Or it, it, it kind of shows you a door. Like, I don't know if there's any, like, random doors around here. There's a door back there that probably a lot of you don't even know is there because it's probably covered up by the screen. That door goes somewhere. You might not know it's there. Your heart's the exact same way. There's questions deep in you that, or there's doors deep in you that if somebody finds the right question and asks it, it might reveal to you that, oh, wow, there's, there's somewhere I can go. And there's maybe somewhere I need to go. And, and don't you believe, wouldn't it be true then, that the creator of our hearts the one that knows every nook and cranny and side passageway in our hearts. He knows questions to ask and doors to reveal to us that he's asking us to go through. So this morning, uh, like we have for this whole series, we have an opportunity to walk through a door um, that the Lord is asking us to walk through. And so stand with me, um, and we're going to read from the book of Jonah, our passage this morning, and this question that the Lord gives to Jonah um, happens in Jonah chapter 4, and it's a, it's a great question and a great doorway for us to walk through as well. So read along with me, uh, Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord, and he said, O oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful. You're slow to anger, you're abounding in steadfast love, and you are relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? And Jonah went out of the city, and he sat on the east of the city, and he made a booth for himself, which is just like a little shelter. And he sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant, and he made it to come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint, and he asked that he might die. And he said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night, and it perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, 
in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. That's the end of the chapter. <laughs> Y'all have a seat. I love the ending of that. Let me pray for us, Lord. Ah, oh, goodness, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you that it's, I mean, I love all of it, but thank you that we get some of these really colorful stories. Um, Because God, oh my goodness, we are colorful people. We are Jonah's. We are just so full of of ironic uh, self-righteousness, of blindness, of anger, of even like, you know, very understandable, deep desires and unmet desires that make us angry. Lord, we're just, we're just a bundle of all these things, and every one of us <laughs> came with that this morning. We, we, got, we, got the same, uh, we got the same disease here. We got the same um, allergy. <laughs> we, we're all sharing in it this morning. Um, and so would you just calm our hearts, uh, open our hearts, um, prepare us to receive, um, hopefully, Lord, not my words, but, uh, but your words, as we look to your word and expound on it and uh, really dig into it to figure out what is it that you want us to look at this morning? What is it in our hearts that you want to pull up, that you've seen our entire lives, that you uh, knew before the foundations of the world would be there, and now that you want us to look at? Um, but, Lord, we pray that we don't focus on ourselves. Would, would we see Jesus this morning? Would we walk out of here with a fresh, a, a renewed, um, maybe even a for the first time taste of the, the beauty and grace of Jesus? In whose name we pray, amen. So I, uh, I watched, um, the, the, there's a new Netflix documentary called Untold, I think. They're going to they're gonna start looking at a bunch of different it seems like famous sports stories. And how many of y'all are familiar with, uh, when, if I say malice in the palace, does that mean anything? The, okay, surely a few of you. Okay, guys, this is, so this happened in 2004. This is an NBA game between the Indiana Pacers uh, and the Detroit Pistons. Thank you, of course, Detroit. It'd be the Pistons. Um, and there was a fight Guys, there was a fight that broke out in the middle of this NBA game, and we're talking not just like any old fight. This fight started on the court, and then it went into the stands, and you had Indiana Pacers, like huge NBA professional athletes, like throwing people around the stands. A huge all-out brawl. They called it a riot. It's called Malice in the Palace. And uh, Netflix kind of revisited this. This this happened back in 2004. I mean, it was, a, of course, just a media explosion. I mean, it was like, whether in sports news or regular news, it was all that people talked about for weeks. And Netflix has gone back and has, with, with new footage, because there was, you know, tons of footage of this taken. Um, they've kind of gone back through the, the almost like hundreds of hours of different camera angles and different footage to, in a sense, retell the story. And what they're getting at, ultimately, is the exact same question that God asks Jonah in this passage. They're getting at this question of, was it right for these players to be angry? Was it right for these fans to be angry? Because trust me, there was a lot of angry people in the palace that night, right? Malice in the palace. A lot of angry people. And of course, when we see anger, we want to start pointing fingers. Do you do right to be angry? Is what, Jesus, or is what God asks Jonah in this passage. And this is what Malice in the Palace, this documentary I watched last night, was trying to answer. Was it right for these guys to be angry? And I'm not going to tell you the right answer. You've got to go watch it. 
uh, and come up, come up with the answer yourself. But it's a great question for us. Why was Jonah angry? What was Jonah angry at? And, and why is it that this is in the Bible? Because the Bible doesn't contain stories just because they're good stories to read. The Bible contains stories because they're transformative for you. The word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces even to the deepest parts of our hearts, which means this story is supposed to do that. This isn't just a good story, although it is a great story. The whole book of Jonah is incredible. This is a story that's supposed to pierce to your heart and teach you something about yourself. Teach you something about God. So this story isn't about all anger. This story is about specifically this story. It's about Jonah's anger. But when we dig into this, and we're going to go through this story right now, when we dig into this story and pull out what was going on, what was it that made Jonah so angry? And was that righteous? That becomes a really beautiful time to ask ourselves a lot of the same questions. So this is a very famous book, a famous story. Y'all probably know the book of Jonah as this is the, you know, the, the whale of a tale story, right? This is the story about the fish. Guys, the fish has at best a bit part in this. this, is, this the book of Jonah is not about the fish. I mean, it's, it's crazy that the fish is even part of this story because it's just such a blip. I mean, I think it literally says at the end of uh, the first chapter, one verse, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And that's it. The fish is not what this story is about. The book of Jonah and the climax of the book of Jonah, which is what we just read in chapter four. The book of Jonah is about Jonah. And it's about God. The book of Jonah is, a, is this classic clash of a protagonist and an antagonist, right? Every great drama has a, has a protagonist, right? Like the hero, the, the good person, you know, the main character, and then an antagonist, the one that's just antagonizing them, is against them. And Jonah probably thinks he's the protagonist and God's the antagonist. And when we read this, we realize, well, God is the protagonist of the story and he is pitted against Jonah. Jonah is pitted against him. The story goes that, that God calls Jonah, his prophet, he says, hey, prophet, do what you're supposed to do. You're a prophet. I'm going to send you to Nineveh, okay? Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. I'm trying to decide if it's trite at this point to even use a comparison. Um, but this would have been, and I'm serious now, this would have been like, you know, we're reading about Afghanistan in the news and what's happening in Afghanistan. I don't know how much you know about uh, the Taliban, um, but if you're thinking about, like, the arch enemy, the mortal enemy of Israel at this time, it would have been Nineveh. It would have been the people that as you're watching them sweep through your country, it wasn't just, oh, I hope they don't win because now like maybe life's going to be a little different. It was if they win, if, 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 this, if this nation of Nineveh actually continues to grow powerful as it was, like we have no hope. We're doomed. The Israelites would have been doomed. Nineveh was, was they, were, they were evil they were wicked, they, um, they were incredibly violent. When they took over uh, countries and nations, they would just kill tons of people. They weren't, they weren't looking to preserve and, and kind of foster the continued existence of the countries they took over. They came through and they wiped out. And so God tells his prophet, hey, I want you to go to Nineveh and I want you to bring my word of judgment against them. Which you would have thought, Jonah would have thought was great. Great, I get, to go, I get to go bring God's word of judgment against our mortal enemies. But instead, as many, many of us know, Jonah runs. He says, I'm not going to go to Nineveh. 
He flees, he gets on a boat, and then that's when the whale thing happens, okay? He gets thrown overboard, whale spits him back out because God's like, no, (laughs) you can't run from the presence of the Lord. You can't run from the will of the Lord. You cannot run from the assignment that God has given to you. And so the the fish spits Jonah out, um, and he goes to Nineveh. And then we get to verse 10 of chapter 3. And I almost read it, but I think it was kind of fun just to read chapter 4, because we started what we just read, chapter 4, with the verse, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And that actually doesn't even really do it justice. Um, if, you, if you were to try to literally translate word for word what the Hebrew says, it really says this, to Jonah this was evil, a very great evil, and he became disgusted and angry. To Jonah, this was evil, a very great evil, and he became disgusted and angry. And so we should be asking the question, well, what was this great evil? Was it Nineveh? Is Jonah, what? what? And if you know the story, let's read verse 10, which is the, the previous verse right before the beginning of chapter 4. This is what Jonah found, a great evil that disgusted him and made him angry. When God saw what Nineveh did, how they turned from their evil ways, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. So what was it that made Jonah angry? It was grace. Grace is what made Jonah angry. And so what we see when we look at the book of Jonah, when we see this this epic clash between these two characters of Jonah and God, we see an epic clash of not just two characters, but character itself. The character of God versus the character of Jonah. The two players in this story is the anger of Jonah and the grace of God. Those are the things that are pitted against each other. And what the book of Jonah wants to teach us is that there is a way in our hearts, there is a way that we live because of sin, because of what scripture calls our flesh. There's a way we live that is counter to the Lord, that pits us as the antagonist against the character of God. And we see it on full display in Jonah. These two characters, God, the character of God, he's gracious, he's merciful, he's compassionate, he's loving. And the character of Jonah, he's law, he's judgment, he's vengeance, he's no mercy. Don't give these people any mercy. So what Jonah was angry about, he's not even angry at Nineveh. What Jonah is angry about is he's angry about God. He's angry about the character of God. He's angry about the grace of God, which at this point should bring up a little question. Are we angry about grace? Is there a way that grace makes us angry? Hang on to that for a second. Let's talk about anger for for just a minute. I think it can be confusing sometimes when we see uh, anger talked about in the Bible um, because most of us probably, when we, when we see anger, we hear the word anger, we, we think about anger talked about in the Bible, we're going to see that as sin, a negative, right? Anger's bad. Like anger is one of those bad emotions. That's not how the Bible talks about it. Notice the question that God asks Jonah. He says, do you do well to be angry? Do you do right is another way to say it. Do you do right to be angry in this case? Which is kind of assuming and begging there might be a way that he could have done right to be angry. 
There's a way he could have done his anger that's right. And this is the reason. Anger is really the direct line connected to love. Think of anger like the bodyguard that follows love around. Okay, you know, like a, um, uh, like a celebrity will have a bodyguard, right? The muscle that follows the celebrity around. The, the, the bodyguard is there to make sure that whatever the celebrity wants or the important person or the politician or whoever they are, whatever that person wants, the bodyguard is there to make sure that it happens. It's the muscle behind the celebrity or the person. Anger is the muscle behind your love. Anger is the thing that supports your love. Whatever it is you love, your anger is supposed to be there to protect it. It's why fathers are angry for their children. It's why mothers are angry to protect their children. It's why people can be angry in a righteous way to protect, to save, to perpetuate the good of the things or the people that they love. Anger is much more about what you love than it is even what you're angry about. Because when your love is threatened, your anger is right there. So anger can be a beautiful thing. In fact, we know in Scripture that God himself is angry. He's angry all the time. Why is that? He's angry all the time because, guess what? There's brokenness all the time. There's sin all the time. And the, listen, listen to this. The very reason why God is angry all the time is the reason why we can't always trust our anger. Why is that? Because the reason God is angry all the time is because things are broken. Because love is broken. We don't love each other the way we're supposed to. So if anger is supporting our love, but our love is broken, then is our anger always going to be righteous? No. Sometimes I love the wrong things, don't I? Or sometimes I love the right things, but for all the wrong reasons. Or sometimes I love the right things, but I love them in the wrong way. In other words, my love gets all twisted. My affections, the things I put my heart toward, what I'm pursuing, what I want to see, isn't righteous all the time for all kinds of reasons. Because I'm sinful. Because my imagination and my ability to even see what's good and right is limited. And God is angry about that. And because, because it's true... That sin has broken our loves, it's broken our affections, it's, it's misdirected what we desire and what we want, then we can't always trust our anger. And so, God asks Jonah, and God asks us, do you do right to be angry? Not all the time, but in this specific case. Jonah, is it right that you're angry right now? And what is that? It's an open door, right? That question is an open door to Jonah. It's an open door for him to open up his own heart and look inside and go, where are my loves? Where are my desires? Am I angry in the right way for the right things? And the amazing, guys, the amazing irony of this story is when you read the book of Jonah, Jonah's the only person who doesn't know the answer to that question. It's shockingly obvious when you read the book of Jonah that Jonah's desires, Jonah's loves, Jonah's anger is not righteous. Because the very grace that Jonah is so irate at the Lord for having for Nineveh, one chapter before, the Lord just had that grace for Jonah. Chapter 2 of the book of Jonah, after Jonah is swallowed by the fish, after he's thrown overboard in the middle of a, of a storm and he's sinking, he's dying. And the Lord plucks him out of the depths. 
and saves his life and allows him to continue his mission, right after the Lord gives unbelievable grace and compassion and mercy to Jonah, Jonah can't have any of it for the Ninevites. It's as if it never happened. Listen to, just, just listen. This is a prayer that Jonah prays inside the belly of the fish. Listen to some of the language. Jonah says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. Out of the belly, I cried and you heard my voice. You brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. And then at the very end of it, he says, with the voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation for Jonah belongs to the Lord, but not salvation for Nineveh. You see the irony? Jonah's desires, his love is so broken that his anger is now completely misdirected because he sees the very thing that he just received from the Lord, that he just praised from the Lord, and he cannot have it for anyone else. So you see the character of God and the character of Jonah and the misalignment between the two? The anger of Jonah, the vengeance of Jonah, the judgment of Jonah, and the grace, compassion, and mercy of the Lord. Because Jonah loved two things, really. Jonah loved his people, the Israelites. And you could say that's a good thing, right? It's good to love your people. But Jonah loved his people with this kind of superior, nationalist, kind of we are the better, you know, we're the ones that are better than anybody else. That, that we're God's chosen people. In other words, God can't have love for anybody else other than for us. He loved his own people. And then Jonah loved Jonah. Not only was he nationalist, he was also individualist. I love me. In verse 6, you saw that, that almost hilarious little thing between God and Jonah and this plant. God sends a plant, a little plant, to grow up and, and to grow up and cover Jonah. And you know what it says? Jonah thought about that plant. He says he was very happy about the plant. In the ESV, it says he was exceedingly glad because of the plant. In other words, he loved the plant. He had joy for the plant. He had so much love and grace and compassion and mercy for the plant. And then when God calls that plant to die, he says, I am so angry, I wish I were dead. Guys, our self-righteousness knows no bounds. Self-righteousness and, and love for myself and this, this individualistic where I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna judge myself with all kinds of grace, all kinds of mercy, all kinds of compassion. It's like the sticky stuff you can't get off your hands. It's like if you go out, like I grew up in South Alabama, LA, Lower Alabama, and uh, we have these pine trees down there that just, literally, they ooze sap. Like, you don't have to cut into them to get to the sap. You just, like, brush up against it, and then, like, you're just sticking to things. You're just, like, bouncing around, sticking. Our self-righteousness, our love for ourselves, it's just like the sticky glue that we can't shake off our fingers. And so in the face of God's grace, in the face of God's incredible grace for other people, we often cannot have that same grace for other people. In fact, I become, I become surgical in my judgment of others. I am so absolutely certain in my wife, in my, 
even my kids and my friends, like I see every single thing that's going on in this place. Like, like I go all anatomy and physiology on you and I can see like every like contour of your, what you want, what your, what your ulterior motives are. And I dig in there with the scalpel and I figure it all out and I'm so self-righteous in doing that. <laughs> I confess that to you guys. And so in that place, I'm like Jonah, I give law and I give judgment But what does God do? In verse two, Jonah says, Lord, I told you so. He says, Lord, see, I told you so. I knew that you are gracious. You are merciful. You're not quick to anger when you cut through and find a good reason in the other person to be angry. No, you're slow to anger. And you're abounding in steadfast love and relenting from judgment and relenting from disaster. So y'all, in the face, in the face of the character of God, when we bump up against the character of God, compassion, mercy, grace, what this passage invites us to ask is, is it that very thing that can make us angry? Is it the very character of God that's so different than us? Is that something that makes you angry? And let me tell you just for a minute as we close why I think God's grace makes us angry. I love to be right. I love for things to go right. I, live, I love for things to go the way that I say things should go. I have this way of seeing the world and I don't care if you're type A and you're kind of one of those people that everybody knows you kind of have your way or you're type B and you're so chill and it's kind of like, ah, I just kind of go through life and like whatever happens, happens. Either way, you all, we all have this just this real clear idea of the way life should go, the way life does go, the way life needs to go. And you know what grace does is grace completely wrecks that because grace isn't mathematical. Grace isn't So cause and effect. It's not, well, if I walk through life and I do these things, then I'm gonna get the things that I want. And if you only, if you only walked through life and you did those things, then you would get what you want too. Grace doesn't work that way. God looks at the Ninevites, those people that I just described as evil and violent, and he looks at them and he says, if you repent, if you just look to me and you confess your sins, then I will love you. I will will turn my anger away from you and I will give you mercy and grace. And Jonah looks at that, and in Jonah's little world, right, that we all have, in his little mathematical equations of how life is going to work. By the way, the Bible calls that law. According to my law, this is the way things are going to happen. And grace comes against law, and grace says, the law will be upheld, but I know it's not going to be by you. And so I'm going to give you grace in your failings. I'm gonna give you mercy in your failings. I'm gonna look at you and not judge you or judge those people, right? Those people I love to set aside like the Ninevites, those other people, the people that, no, they just don't see it right. They just don't do COVID right. They just don't vote right. They just don't, you know, shop at the right restaurants. They don't live in the right part of town. Whatever it is, when you look at those other people, those Ninevites, and they don't fit with this kind of law framework that you've built for yourself, God's grace makes you angry makes me angry. And what the, 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 the beauty of this passage 
is that it's not just God's grace for the Ninevites that we see, but it's actually God's grace for the one who does all those things I just said. It's God's grace for me. Because who's the main character in the story? Jonah. Who receives the grace of the Lord? Jonah. Do you see the, the, the mercy of God and even in the way he talks to Jonah? The, the gentleness of his questions? How he just repeats that same question, Jonah, bro, do you, do you do right to be angry? Do you do right to be angry about the plant? And I love that we don't, we don't get a, a, a conclusion to the story. I want to hope that as that sun is beating down on Jonah, he eventually reaches the point where he's like, okay, <laughs> I'm going to go. I'm going to go back. And, uh, and I, would, I would hope and believe um, that he came back to Israel with more of that same grace and more of that same compassion and more of that same mercy that he had just experienced from the Lord. Because what is very true, just like in uh, the book of John, 1 John, when it says, um, we love because he first loved us. It's also true that we have grace for others when we have first received God's grace. And the way we get to the grace of God is through the cross of Jesus. Because whereas Jonah went outside the city of Nineveh to watch it burn, to watch judgment fall down on it, Jesus went outside the city to give his life for it. He went outside your city. He's standing, in a sense, he's standing outside your city right now and looking at your wickedness, looking at my self-righteous judgment, and he's looking at me and he's saying, yeah, I, I came and I died for that. I came up on that cross to give you grace. You are the recipient of my compassion, my grace, my mercy, and my love. And the reason why we have so much trouble giving that grace to others is because we judge ourselves with the same law. I treat you the way I treat you because deep down I treat me the same way. I can't imagine that God would love me based on his grace. No, I believe God loves me based on what I've done how well I've set my life up, how well I've walked through. You know, ha have I done the right things to be in the position that I want to be in? Have I earned, uh, you know, these things that I want for myself? And to believe that God actually loves us with the grace to say, you know what? I'm loving you because of my son, Jesus. That might be the most angering thing of all. But what this passage is inviting us to do is to come back, return back to that compassionate love of the Lord. To remember that we love because he first loved us. We grant others grace because we have been those, and we are those that have received grace. So let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you uh, for this, this incredible story. <laughs> thank you for the fish. Thank you for the, the memorableness of this passage. Um, and Lord, thank you that the main character in this story is me. That if I just stop for, for two minutes and look at the story, that I see so much of Jonathan and Jonah. And Lord, it is Jonah who you are coming after. All covered in the sticky self-righteousness that he can't get off. All covered in the, in the judgment, the anger that he just can't wash off no matter how much he scrubs. Lord, you came after him. You didn't let him go. You didn't let him live in his judgment. And you're not going to let me live in it either. So Lord, collectively, as your body, your church, we lift our arms to you. We say, Lord, take our sins, remove our sins from us as far as the east is from the west, and give us your grace. 
Give us your compassion. Do for us the thing that we cannot do for ourselves, which is save ourselves. So thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.